Microphone check. One, two. CC. Hello and welcome at CC. Hello and welcome at one, two, three, four, five, six. She sells seashells by the seashore. She sells seashells by the seashore. There we go. Rolling. In the course of the production, realized that the smaller device and everybody's familiarity with it led to a much more intimate filmmaking process. I think that that is something that will work incredibly well for documentary filmmakers who often go in and detail real life subjects who aren't experienced being in front of the lens and they're going to get very natural and intimate portrayals of their subjects. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life, a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 77. And it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of Documentary Film, The Documentary Life Podcast, and The Documentary Academy, our industry-changing A to Z documentary filmmaking program that will transform you into the documentary filmmaker that you've always wanted to be. Find out more at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. Last week was part one of our special on mobile filmmaking. In that episode, we took a look at five reasons to shoot your next doc on your phone. And we had a conversation with former BBC and ITV reporter Anna Brees of Brees Media, who is nowadays producing all of her news stories with her iPhone. And she's showing many of the good citizens of the UK how to do the same. This week, we're going to get right into part two of this conversation on mobile filmmaking by speaking with Neil Barham from Filmic Pro, one of the leading apps that are out there that will help you turn your phone into a fully manually functioning video camera. Neil is fresh off of attending Mojo Fest in Galway last week and is currently in San Jose attending Apple's Worldwide Developers Conference. As you can imagine, Neil has a lot to say on the topic of making films with mobile devices. That conversation coming up next. Thank you everyone for tuning into this week's installment of The Documentary Life. I'm speaking with Neil Barham of Filmic Pro today, and this is our second of a two-part series on mobile filmmaking. And it really seems to me that who better to to speak to this than the CEO and founder of Filmic Pro. Neil, welcome to The Documentary Life. I'm excited to have this conversation about mobile filmmaking and what you guys are doing with Filmic Pro. Thank you so much, Chris. I'm excited to be here. Now, Neil... Because this program, as part of a two-part series, we're talking so much about, we're having discussion really about mobile filmmaking. And it's and, and this kind of filmmaking, filmmaking with your phones, is something that we could really, it was time for a more robust conversation about this in the documentary community. So Neil, I guess a good way to start this would be, I'd love to hear about your initial connection to the film industry and, and, and how you really came to yeah filmmaking and then Filmic Pro. Sure. Um, well, if we want to go all the way back, it would be um, graveyard front desk clerk at the Cliff Lodge in <laughs> Snowbird, Utah in my early 20s, basically watching movies on closed circuit TV. <laughs> uh, and 
being somewhat appalled at how consistently bad they were and having the notion that I could do better. Um, and that led me to go to school at the Vancouver Film School. Oh, okay. And I guess that was my uh, entree into the film community and then moved to Seattle, Washington with the idea of, I guess, trying to excel in the independent mm -hmm. film community in a smaller pond. And then after succeeding there, I had hopes and ambitions to go down to Hollywood and expand, I guess, my filmmaking career from there. Um, life takes, you know, a couple twists and turns and I ended up staying in Seattle longer than I expected. Hey, Seattle's a great town. It is. It's a really beautiful place and a kind of vibrant community, but it has a pretty small independent film community. So it was hard to find enough work to basically stay fully monetarily comfortable yeah. and during the course of that i had a friend who both worked in the film community but had also created a storyboard app back in 2009 in the early days of the app store um, and he played in my weekly basketball league and would tell me how well his app was doing on the app store and at that time i think there were less than 250,000 apps in the world mm. um, i'm not even sure the google play store existed at that time yeah. and so i quickly saw the beauty of the distribution model that the app store allowed people um going into territories all over the world yeah. with a single upload so i knew that i wanted to do something in apps but i didn't know what and yeah. it wasn't until the iphone 4 came out in 2010 <laughs> shooting 720p hd uh video that the light bulb really went off yeah. and i think the initial concept was that this could be a great b-roll camera and the sort of scenario uh that we envisioned was driving home from film set and seeing the perfect either establishing shot or in <laughs> pulling over to the side of the road, recording it, and then uploading it to Dropbox and sharing it with the editor. Yeah. The thought was they'd slip it into the timeline uh, with the rest of your project that was shot on more expensive gear and right. nobody would be the wiser. So it didn't take long from that uh, initial concept to realize if it was that good it was really going to basically do away with the $500 to $1,000 Handycam yeah. uh, market. Um, and interestingly enough, I mean, just being filmmakers, we never simplified the app enough to really go after that, I guess, fat target audience of uh, consumers. You know, we ultimately just designed the app that we wanted to use. So yes, that's right, right. And tool um, that tried to mimic the functionality that, that users would find on a ten dollars to $50,000 camera. Yeah, right. So that was the initial concept. And then I think one of the sort of fate or found magic was that we were the first people to take mobile video seriously. Mm -hmm. There were a couple Super 8 low-res vintage filter type apps at the moment right um, eight millimeter i remember that one i love that <laughs> yep yeah and they were tons of fun um but they weren't high definition right and so because we were and because we were giving people control over frame rate focus and exposure yeah 
it meant that our early adopters were filmmakers, journalists, educators, documentary filmmakers. Right. And so our info queue and support queue had a ton of great suggestions on how we could make the product better. And so we quickly developed a habit of having an extensive dialogue with our user base. Okay. Um, and they've helped us make the product better year in and year out. So, Neil, let's talk a little bit about that. What was development like? Like, what was that time period once you had the idea that you knew you had an idea for a video recorder app and that you wanted it for your target audience to be those who would be interested in owning the five to $10,000 video cameras? Once you had that idea... Uh, what was development like? What was how long was it? And uh, tell us some of the people that that you did have in to to use the device and give you feedback. Well, I mean, actually, I think the initial concept we felt was strong enough that we just wanted to go to market um, and weren't programmers, so had to find a boutique development shop uh, in okay. Seattle, Washington, yeah. to build the initial version of the app. Um, you know, to, to tell you how much conviction I had in this, I basically sold my house and funded um, Filmic Pro with the proceeds from the house sale. <laughs> the initial version of the app and the legal costs associated with it took um, nine months and two hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> So it was an enormous leap of faith. Yes, um, that's very that's that's very independent filmmakerish of you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Though you know, every filmmaker has probably heard at some point in time, you know, never yeah. spend their own money, yeah. uh, and you know, try to get outside investors. But plenty of filmmakers have uh, disregarded that advice, and mm. you know, uh, I did as well. Um, to give you some idea of, I guess, how development goes, it's always sort of three times as long as you think and twice as expensive. Yeah. So the designs for Filmic Pro started in August 2010. The coding began in September. The goal was to have the initial product out for the holiday season. Yeah. Um, and it was released in May 15th, the following year, Got 2011. It. Wow, okay. Um, so yeah, uh, many delays and many costs, uh, overruns. Um, but I quickly learned a lesson that has suited us well over the years. And that is that persistence and commitment pays off. And if you continue moving forward, you're eventually going to get where you want to go. Um, so the, uh, app was received well, uh, at least I guess critically, maybe not so much financially in the early days, but that was great. People took it seriously and they appreciated what we were trying to do. Um, I'm trying to think if there was an early influential filmmaker that really resonated. I know that people like Taz Goldstein, mm -hmm. um, a Hollywood director and had written a book called Handheld Hollywood. Yes, right, uh, right. Was one of the first people to give um, some wide visibility to the app. I think Philip Bloom ran across the app and did a blog post about it, and that was definitely a 
shot in the arm early on. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was. And then over the course, we've had a handful of, I guess, breakout moments. But the real first one uh, happened in 2012 when a filmmaker named Michael Corbel had been enlisted by Zacuto to participate in the second Zacuto Revenge of the Great Camera Shootout. Oh, right, yeah. And so he went to Chicago and shot along a, a handful of um, Hollywood cinematographers using everything from Aries, Reds, Canon, Sony FS100s, um, and the iPhone 4S at that point, which was actually a significant step up from the iPhone 4, mm. now shot 1080p high definition video. And so he reached out to us and asked for some recommendations on how to be get the best quality video oh, wow. uh, out of Filmic Pro. So what ended up happening is with the higher bit rates that we enabled, uh, in blind audience testing, the iPhone and Filmic Pro beat the Sony FS100 <laughs> and tied the $13,000 Canon C300 wow. in audience testing. So what had been kind of a joke with everybody sort of snickering at, you know, um, <laughs> professional video on an iPhone, that'll be the day. Right. Uh, suddenly everybody sort of stood up and began to take notice. I think, interestingly enough, so much so, the iPhone and Filmic Pro have never been invited back to another uh, camera shootout because I think it's potentially too damaging. To oh, wow. The... That's wild. <laughs> yeah. So that validated the image quality that you could get out of the device. Um, but I think one of the most useful benefits of the iPhone didn't really come out uh, as it pertained to filmmakers until Sean Baker's experience with Tangerine. Yeah, of course. Where he had initially been forced into it for monetary reasons. Yeah. But in the course of the produ production, realized that the smaller device and everybody's familiarity with it led to a much more intimate filmmaking process right. where, in the case of the cast, they were mixing both professionals with amateurs who'd never appeared in a film before. Right. But instead of being um, uncomfortable or intimidated by being on camera in front of a big lens, yeah. they were basically in front of a selfie cam. Right. And so like everybody is, when they're taking selfies, they just became relaxed, animated, happy, and projected towards the camera. I think that that is something that will work incredibly well for documentary filmmakers who often go in and detail real life subjects who aren't uh, experienced being in front of the lens and they're going to get very natural and intimate portrayals of their subjects. Well, and that is absolutely something that I was going to, as you were speaking about the effect that it was having while in production on Tangerine, I wanted to make a note to kind of go down that road and ask you specifically about um, how appropriately that, of course, applies for documentary filmmakers. Speak to someone, um, speak to a doc filmmaker who has been using C300s and has been using higher end um, Sony cameras and has, or maybe has been using RED cameras. Speak to that doc filmmaker 
and explain to them what the advantage is, the true advantage of shooting and why they might consider shooting their next doc on a phone. Sure, I'd love to. And I'm actually going to use a couple real world uh, examples. Great. Um, so one, I'll go uh, to Tangerine and maybe some of your audience is a little bit familiar with that film. Oh, yeah. So there was a scene in that movie where two of the actors jump on a metro bus um, in the midst of an argument, have an argument on the bus, and then one of the actors drags the other one off the bus and into a local nightclub. So they actually shot that cinema verite and just boarded the bus with actual tickets um, filmed the thing on a scheduled bus ride and got wonderful performances from the other Metro Transit riders <laughs> who had no idea that this was actually a movie in action and not just two people creating a scene on a bus. <laughs> and then after the fact, got the necessary releases that they needed to enable them to include that footage. Uh, in the movie, but it just drips with authenticity. Yeah. Um, another great example is the Project Wild Days. It was formerly called Elephant Days. It's a documentary that's coming to the market on elephants in um, sub-Saharan Africa. Oh, yeah. And oh, the yeah. issue with poaching. And if you go around Canon C300, everybody knows that you're up to something. Right. And people get very guarded, very reserved, wonder what your motivations are, and essentially clam up. Whereas if you pull out your iPhone or your Android phone, everybody thinks that you're a tourist like anybody else, and they just go about their business and their daily lives, and you're able to authentically record the story uh, the way that you're seeing it unfold. And so the iPhone iPhone or the smartphone's ability to go places without drawing attention to itself, I think suits actually documentary filmmakers even more than it does uh, fiction or narrative filmmakers. So I think for documentary filmmakers, even if it's not your A camera, it's an invaluable piece of kit that should be considered for either B or C camera purposes. When I first came up with the idea for the Documentary Life podcast, I was hoping to reach out and start connecting with other like-minded individuals and maybe create a community where doc filmmakers could learn from and get inspired by one another. And I wanted to have conversations that weren't just about the technical aspects of documentary filmmaking. I wanted to also be having discussions on what it meant to live the life of a creative, in our case, as doc filmmakers. And to my pleasant surprise and amazement, that is precisely what has happened with both the podcast and our community group. And now, we've expanded upon that idea with the release of Living Your Documentary Life, a program that breaks down the ways in which you can, through the creation of your art, live a sustainable, creative, and fulfilling documentary life. In Living Your Documentary Life, we remove the obstacles that you currently have in your life that are holding you back from making your documentary film, whether that be financial obligations, your immediate relationships, or your mindset and confidence in your abilities. You will gain perspective, build momentum, and create a lifestyle that serves you creating your best documentary filmmaking projects. 
If this sounds like the kind of doc life that you want to be leading, we'd love to help. Just head on over to thedocumentarylife.com slash yourdoclife and let's get you living and leading your best doc life today. Let's talk a little bit about this idea of building out a kit. So I'm a doc filmmaker. I'm going to put away the Canon C300. I'm going to put it away for a little bit and see what I can do, what kind of a doc film I can make with my with my mobile phone. What, what are the other what? Um, and you can mention apps here. You can mention um, other accessories. What do I need to do? What is, what's the best way to build out in fairly short order a proper kit that's going to allow me to, to make a doc film like I would be with if I had my Canon C300? Sure. Um, well, I think audio is the initial sort of weak link. That's the big one, uh, yeah. Yeah. And so whether it's Sennheiser, Shore, Rode, uh, a handful of other audio companies all make great microphones. And as in any larger production, the type of microphone depends uh, purely on your shooting environment and what sort of effect you're hoping to get. And are you recording on an external device in this scenario or are you going straight into your phone? Either. And I think that depends somewhat on the budget and the mobility. Um, but even if you're just going with uh, lavaliers or a mini shotgun mic into the smartphone, you're going to make a huge improvement in the audio quality versus using uh, the distant microphone that's on the camera itself. There's some interesting, innovative little tricks that you can do. One of the ones we hear about most often is people using a second smartphone, putting it upside down in their interview subject's shirt pocket. Oh, wow. And then syncing the audio from that to the video track later. I would be a little bit concerned about... Uh, clothing Russell, but if they can make it so it's in there and it's not moving around, that's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard from so many sources that I think maybe just the way the microphone is sort of like isolated in the middle of both sides of the smartphone. Oh, right. Right. Tall enough to clear the top of a shirt pocket. Yeah. That it often or most often isn't an issue. So that's a little secret trick that people should have in the back of their mind if they find themselves yeah without a microphone and i would say that that should be a a it's a good alternative to a last resort because if you can have a proper mic and proper recording system set up um that's uh, that's optimal for sure as a doc filmmaker um for if for no other reason then at least you can monitor your audio i don't think in your setup you'd be able to monitor that or i can't see how you would Right. Yeah. Not on the second device. We let you monitor the audio that you're getting right. um, either through your external microphone plugged into yeah. the yeah. device running Filmic Pro or your onboard microphone. So you're absolutely correct. Um, to give you an idea of how much energy and innovation is being spent in the mobile filmmaking space as the larger companies see potentially a user base in the tens to hundreds of millions of people. Right. Sennheiser uh, debuted a product at NAB called the Memory Mic, which is sort of similar to the situation I just spelled out. Mm. And what it is, is um, a square lavalier, maybe about the size of a 
slip open matchbook um, that you might get, or yeah. I don't know what else would be another good example, like the size of an eraser. Okay. Um, and it records audio straight to a disc on the lavalier itself. Oh, wow. And then syncs up with Filmic Pro on your iPhone. Um, and we do the corrective uh, sync calibration between the remote stored audio file and the video uh, track. So in that sort of situation, you can envision basically filming somebody walking across Golden Gate Bridge from the land and talking the whole way through while you're doing an extreme wide shot from hundreds of yards away and having sync audio. <laughs> wow. That's, that's really, really amazing. So I can, I'm trying to visualize this, Neil. The record, it's recording to media that's on that Sennheiser device, correct? And then you have to sync up later, like you would do, dare I say, the olden days of the DSLR, when you would take the DSLR and then the, um, you know, your source that you recorded separately, your external audio, and you'd sync it up there. Is it a similar deal that way? Yeah, except that there's no manual operation to it. All you have to do is bring the distant mic and the uh, iPhone running Filmic Pro in somewhat close proximity to each other, and the audio file jumps over and is automatically synced up. So it's not like you're wow. dragging around your audio and video clips in your NLE trying to get the sync just right. That's like we incredible. Care. Okay, okay, that's what I wanted clarification on. That's amazing. Um, yeah, so when you import your files, they're already completely in sync. Wow, wow. Okay, well, there you go. So that sound, um, maybe you can share with us uh, maybe some something about, maybe you can share with us what we can do for stabilizers or, or, or lenses, perhaps. Sure, absolutely. And a lot of that, of course, is going to be stylistic choices. For sure. Do you want to be handheld? Are you moving the camera? Um, are you doing long static takes? Do you need a tripod? Um, if you do, of course, there are a whole range of tripods from the super micro and mini by outfits like Joby and Manfrotto. Right. Um, but I think what everybody is really excited with at the moment to the point that it's almost at risk of being used too much, too much. think of like early 1970s, uh, feature films and their use of zoom lenses. But, um, the motorized gimbals that have hit the market in the last year or so from yeah. the original DJI Osmo one followed by the successor, the Osmo mobile two to uh, G one smooth, smooth Q and smooth four and Feiyu as well. And free I just came out with a pro in interesting, innovative product called the cinema robot. Yeah, I saw that. So from, I think, $129 at the low end to about $259 at the high end, there are a whole range of great portable motorized gimbals that give you incredible pan-tilt functionality. Now, there's something to be aware of there, and that is in mobile filmmaking, sort of like everything has either a cost or a compromise and so the motorized gimbals are no exception 
And the way that they work is the bottom of the iPhone is flush against the edge of the gimbal arm, which means you can't plug in an external microphone. Uh. So now you have great moving shots, but you have to think up some innovative uh, and acrobatic way to get your audio uh, solution. Yeah. Um, Similarly, uh, say people want to use something like the Moondog Labs anamorphic adapter or the new anamorphic adapter by either Moment or B-Script. I think they both make um, competitive uh, adapters as well. Uh, great. But if you're using a gimbal, now the additional weight of the anamorphic lens requires you to have a gimbal that supports a counterweight solution right. or you have to get ultra creative and have the equivalent of your grip rig up some sort of rubber band weight situation <laughs> to counterbalance you know ingenuity will always solve whatever the shortcomings are um but when the goal of everyone is to be sort of like light and nimble it's hard to put all of the light and nimble pieces together without having some sort of stumbling uh, block. That's right. That's right. I mean, and it was that way with the DSLR, you know, it was, it was very much that way when you were talking about what you were using for stabilizers and when you started adding heavier lenses or you're trying to figure out your audio solution. Well, you could record it separately or you could get that, you know, I guess Beach Tech back in the day did like this base plate that you would put under the camera and you could run some XLRs into there for audio. It's a, it's a similar deal. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, regardless of maybe how small the device is that you're recording, um, if you want to be able to have the functionality of, I guess, um, you know, uh, if you want to be able to have certain types of camera movement, if you want to be able to be able to switch out lenses, it is going to add, you know, no matter what, it's going to add to um, to the size of the device you're recording. Now, we we had a filmmaker on, and I want to say this was, I think the latter part of last year by the name of Jack Ballow and Jack gives workshops on, uh, he gives workshops and has been doing this for a couple of few years on iPhone filmmaking and he's a doc filmmaker. And I think in the past year or so he has completely sworn off other video cameras and is totally sold on iPhone filmmaking. And, uh, we spoke to him briefly about that. And, and for him, he doesn't use any other devices. He's like, look, I just love the authenticity and how comfortable my subjects are straight up with my me literally just holding the iPhone with my hands using the uh, using Filmic Pro um, and not even adding any additional lenses or accessories at all. Right. I would actually say that that is if there is sort of a moral debate within the mobile filmmaking community mm. it is around how many accessories can you apply to a piece of kit before it's no longer mobile ah right and so if you use i don't know let's say a beach a b-script helium cine case iographer padcaster anything like that um, with and use the cold shoe mounts for microphones or um, external light uh, solutions, yeah. then at some point you get a kit that's as big as the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema camera that yes. they released at NAB this year or rivals the size of a DSLR rig. Right, there you and go. And so then people will say, you know, is that mobile? 
And, you know, half of the people will say, sure, yeah, it's still a smartphone. And then other people will say, you know, that isn't mobile because I can't just walk around with it. I have to bring a kit bag and then spend, you know, 10, 15 minutes assembling my kit. Yeah, right. And I actually uh, follow Jack's uh, lead there. When I tend to travel and shoot mobile, I like to go pretty much as light as I can. Yeah. And most of the time, I'm just hand-holding the device, um, pull it out of my pocket, and then selectively use gimbals uh, or microphones if there's a certain shot that requires it. Um, yeah. One other thing that I should mention on the gear or kit considerations yeah. would have to do with um, shutter speed. And maybe this speaks to the more cinematographer minded documentary filmmakers in your audience. Yes. But if you're trying to adhere to the 180 shutter rule, where if you're shooting at 30 frames a second, you're going to want to shoot at 160th, or if you're shooting at 24, you're going to want to adhere to a 148 shutter. Right. Well, one, you'll have to use Filmic Pro. So there's the shameless little plug yeah, for being for sure. Of course lock your shutter speed but you actually will often have to use an nd filter to knock a lot enough light down yeah. to let you use a combination of a low iso and a low shutter speed right. if you just open up filmic pro and go to the manual controls and are out in a bright sunlit day you'll often see a shutter speed that's in the you know one over three thousand yes or one. i was just gonna say one over three thousand right and if you don't have a lot of movement in your shot then that's okay but if you do have a lot of movement you're gonna lose that sort of graceful fluid cinematic motion and you're gonna get something that's a little bit more jagged and kind of rings as video more yeah. than film. And right. that's one of the things that Filmic Pro tries to bring to smartphones mm -hmm. is that 24 frame per second, smooth, uh, fluid motion uh, sensibility. And the best way to achieve it is to have a 180 uh, shutter rule and be able to lock your shutter speed at 148 if you're shooting at 24 frames a second. So ND filters will be absolutely essential for that. And again, Moondog Labs is one of the best outfits out there for offering good ND solutions for uh, mobile. That's an actually outstanding recommendation. I, uh, I love that you broke that down for us because um, that's super, super helpful. And it's something that the cinematographers of us um, definitely, it's going to be one of the first things we're going to want to know well, as soon as we step outside with, with, uh, with the, with the iPhone and, uh, or, or mobile device and start filming. Right. And actually conversely, I will just say low light cinematography yeah. is an Achilles heel or a weak spot mm. for, uh, mobile devices. I mean, they have tiny sensors, yeah. um, so they just don't have the dynamic range or low light sensitivity that DSLR or larger cameras will have. Right. But the secret that you will want to do in those situations is try to keep the ISO as low as possible and then slow down your shutter speed as low as possible as well. But the higher your ISO gets, the more noise that you're going to introduce into the uh, scene. So, so, so much so that I watched a workshop at Mojo Fest in Ireland last week um, where 
the uh, presenter was basically saying, once it gets over a certain ISO, I can't remember where the cutoff point for him might have been, mm. um, but maybe 100 or 200 ISO, then he just wouldn't take the shot. Um, uh-huh. Actually, the pre- presenter's name was Richard Lackey, and he has a wonderful um, tutorial up on U- uh, YouTube for low-light smartphone cinematography, which is, I think, 10 minutes long and pretty much worth its weight in gold. Um, I'll make sure to get and, that up in the show notes for this episode. Okay, yeah, fantastic. I think your audience would get a ton out of it. Yeah. It's short, enjoyable, and beautiful to look at. Um, and, you know, everybody's immediate takeaway, mine included, is, you know, wow, my low-light video doesn't look like that. And then <laughs> the steps to achieve it are actually relatively few, and yeah. he walks you through it. And, uh, you know, low ISO is one of the keys. That's so cool. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Neil, I could talk to you for ages about this. I am absolutely fascinated by what's happening in the documentary filmmaking community with mobile filmmaking. Hence us devoting the two-part series to this. Uh, Neil, I'm a big fan of Filmic Pro. I've been using it, I think, since it's, uh, I think perhaps since you guys first came out with it. And um, I have to say that that uh, I struggled with it the first um, the first couple times, few times I used it, it crashed on me a bit. And now I'm using it; it's never crashes, and its functionality is 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 relatively seamless. I love it. I think it's a great app, and it's great for um, yeah, it's great for the doc filmmaking community. Um, Neil, as we as we wrap up here, are there any parting words that you might have for us? Um, anything else that comes to mind that we should know about mobile filmmaking? Oh, absolutely. Um, nothing makes us more excited than seeing what creative artistic endeavors um, our user base uh, is able to dream up. And so right now we're running the third Filmic Pro short film contest. This one's theme is One World, trying to get across the idea of sort of like unity and universal stories that um, are illuminating to all of us. And one of the categories that we feature is documentary. And so there's six categories total, fiction, documentary, travel places is one category, music is another, animals is another, as we're huge animal fans ourselves, and then experimental is the last one. Films have to be six minutes or less, shot 70% on Filmic Pro, um, at least, and then you can use drones or DSLRs or whatever else. Um, and you potentially can win up to $25,000 in prizes, including almost all of the gear that I've mentioned and recommended in the course of this discussion. So it's a fast route to um, filling out your uh, kit bag um, by making a great film. And our submission deadline is June 30th. So if people have some inspired ideas or films that they've already made with Filmic Pro, go to filmicpro.com and check out our contest page and we'd love to see what you've made. Neil, what a brilliant conversation. I am so glad that we could carve out the time and, and finally make this happen. Um, you were you were certainly, my instincts were correct. You were the man to talk about this subject. Thank you so much for being on The Documentary Life, Neil. It was a pleasure and you do great work and hopefully get a chance to chat with you again in the future. I look forward to it. 
Don't forget, if you're looking to live and lead a documentary life, you need to head over to thedocumentarylife.com slash yourdoclife and take a look at our Living Your Documentary Life program. We'll help you craft your lifestyle so that you are able to make the documentary films that you want to make and live the doc life you want to live. Oh,